Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you? I'm well. Happy um, Boston Marathon Week. Woohoo! Yeah, <laughs> traditional Boston Marathon Week, which still feels weird to second year in a row to not be in Boston for Patriots Day. It's it's a weird. Like I think I remember saying last year, it's like kind of the rhythm of the year. To you know, April comes and we get excited for Boston. We start checking the weather. Um, speaking of which, it was actually perfect weather on Monday. <laughs> we would have both loved the weather on Monday in Boston, uh, and it feels weird. There's still sort of a little bit of a void on on Patriots Day. So hopefully next year we'll be back into the um, into the regular rhythm of the year. But it was definitely a little bit weird this year. Again, not to be in in Boston with you. Yeah, for sure. It's funny. There was this New York Times article circulating and one of our runners, uh, Rabbi Lori Rice, who was a guest on our podcast, actually sent it to us. But I happened to catch it on Sunday night. Uh, it was a New York Times article where it discusses the word for how we feel this year, which is languishing. I think a lot of people read the article and it resonated. And that's kind of how I felt this week. It's like I'm not necessarily depressed. I mean, I'm used to this type of disappointment disappointment. We've had so much canceled and so much loss already. Boston for another year, it's just, you know, oh, it's just another thing that we're not doing and, and we're just sort of used to coping with it. So it's nothing new, but the article also discussed in contrast to that feeling of languishing is your flow. And as uh, Rabbi Lori pointed out, and I know you feel the same way as I do, our flow in coping with that languishing feeling is running. So it's sort of a double whammy because with cancellation of Boston, which as you pointed out, sort of is uh, one of the pillars of our year and is, is just one of the touch points for how our year flows <laughs> involves running, which is our flow. So it's like a double whammy. But um, we also had the chance this week. And of course, you registered last week because you're a streaker. Um, I had the chance to register for Boston this week. So that definitely softened the blow. And also while having nothing to do with Boston on Patriots Day, it was a huge momentous day in my world because I got to send a kid off to real in-person school for the first time on Monday. It was really exciting. Uh, While my other kids' schedule is such that Um, he will be going to in-person school next week and she will be home. Therefore, both kids will not ever be in in in-person school this year at the same time. Welcome to my world. Welcome to my world. That's my world too. Yeah, you know that. My kids go to school on alternating days too. I'm really happy to be in your world. Finally, it's taken a really long time and I feel like I just seeing my daughter come home from the first day, although it looked very different, she just, there was such a pep in her step and I'm really happy for her and I'm happy for my son next week. So all good. It's definitely a step in the right direction in all of this. And um, I forgot to tell you this story. This is kind of funny, but speaking of step in the right direction, in addition to school, there's, there are abbreviated sports seasons. Um, So last week there were only four cross country meets for my older, my high schooler this year. And Parents weren't allowed initially to any of them because they didn't want spectators due to um, capacity. But by the final couple of meets, 
they did say that a limited number of parents, if they wanted to come, could come and watch their kid play a sport. So I asked my son, Noah, who's a junior, I said, can I come to your meet the first time we were allowed? And he immediately said, you know, don't worry about it. Like there, there are no parents. Um, no one's coming and I don't want you to be the only one. And I respect that. I certainly get it. And I certainly don't want to be any, do anything to make him self-conscious. We've all were teenagers once we all get that feeling. So I didn't go and it kind of broke my heart because I haven't had the opportunity to watch either of my kids play or perform or do anything this year. So I was pretty excited personally, but it's not about me. So he came home. He's like, oh, I had a great meet. And I was like, womp, womp. I would have really liked to watch that. So the final meet was last week and he's heading out the door. And I said, I, I, I tried to be really casual. And I just said, you know, I think I'm going to come. And he looked at me and he said, you know, there are no parents there, mom, please don't come. I don't want you to be the only one please don't come. And I said, you know, it's your last meet. I'm sure there'll be more parents there. No, no, there won't be any. So I actually didn't listen to him. And about a half hour after he left, I knew they'd still be warming up. It takes forever for these meets to start. And so I drove over to the Rockville Civic Center and I brought the dog because I figured if I brought Cooper, if he did see me there, Cooper, Cooper could be my buffer and he wouldn't be as mad. So I have a dog and I'm standing there and there are plenty of parents, but I was talking to them, but I don't think they even noticed, but I was talking to them kind of behind a tree because I didn't want him to see me and, you know, mess up his race because he really didn't want me there, but I wasn't listening. So it's a, it's a, I think they did like four loops total. And the first loop, he definitely didn't see me, but by the second loop, he ran by and I didn't even scream or anything. He gave me like the look of death uh, you know, he was so upset with me but by the third loop he was in the zone and by the fourth loop I could tell he didn't care so I was really happy I got to see him he ran a great race all the kids did it was really great to see the seniors which I was really excited to see the seniors run their last race certainly was an abbreviated season but it was something and I beat him home and he came home and he I said very casually how was your race so so anyway it just you know, for anyone out there whose kids are like, don't go, don't go, take it from me, just go hide behind a tree. Just go hide behind a tree with your dog. <laughs> That's hilarious. So anyways, well, tell it's me nice what's to see with you. Um, you know, not not much. We, you know, what I'd really love to talk about is our um we had every every weekend the past few weekends and coming up we actually have runners doing races and uh this past weekend we had um, one of our runners um pat from who's from columbia missouri um doing a and she is uh 61 years old or we like to say 61 years young she is amazing and somebody we both really admire she is not only a really fantastic runner but she's also an olympic power lifter which she dials back on during her marathon training very smartly she's very smart about that but i really think that her her lifting and her her attention to strength and her um just her her her, her real focus on that it makes a difference in her running and, and not only that but this this training season so we started coaching pat back in uh, mid 2019 uh, for some half marathon. She Pat has is a successful runner. She's run had run when she came to us six consecutive Boston Marathon finishes. Her last few had not been great. 2018, we all know about 2018. The weather was horrible. She survived it. Um, 2019, she went into it after I think a couple weeks after um, having a pretty bad infection and being really sick. So not a great race. Um, but when she came to us, she actually wanted to kind of work on some half marathon distance stuff, which she had never done. So we did that to some success, some great success in um, the fall of 2019. And then she said, you know what, let's work toward 
toward Boston 2020. <laughs> we all know what happened with that. So Pat didn't get to do her marathon. Um, and she had a, a, a Boston qualifying time from her last Boston marathon, but not a huge cushion. I mean, a, a, a big cushion for her, but um, she knew she could do better. And, and so we worked, we trained all winter and she trained through her cold, not so great Missouri winters and really paid attention to all the stuff. She was doing, getting massages, um, she was doing this mobility work, strength, stretching, regularly seeing her physical therapist, really staying on top of all the extras other than, you know, outside of the running. And, and we didn't know she signed up for the last chance BQ.2 marathon that Julie, you had done a few years ago as your um, shot at qualifying for Boston successfully. So we kind of knew what to expect. It's a looped course that's really geared toward helping runners qualify for Boston and get their fastest time that they can you know, achieve. And uh, so she was targeting that. We really didn't know if it was actually going to happen. We were hoping it would. And it did. And she went and um, her Boston qualifying time, her Boston qualifying, uh, you know, the time she needed was 4.20 and she finished in 3.45, which was just about our goal for her. We knew it should be probably between 3.40 and 3.50 and 3.45 ran a perfectly executed race. She um, it was hitting her paces from the start, just like clockwork. Every time a, 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 an update would come through on the tracking that we had, it was just spot on, spot on, spot on, spot on. And she did such a wonderful job. And, and after the race, um, you know, she sent a race recap and, and something that really um, struck struck me is, is her mental approach. And, um, you know, she said uh, she had said she was really pleased with her mental focus. And, and I'm just going to read from her email and then from a subsequent email that she sent that she told us we could share, because I think it really can help with uh, mental mental preparation and mental strategy in the marathon. She said, I used to say mantras to myself during the race, but I found that the best approach is really just to say the number of the mile I'm in. It isn't fancy and it sounds boring, but it is the best mental focus exercise. Mile one, I just say over and over, mile one. Rarely any other thought gets in except an occasional slow it down. I don't really know how to explain this, but it makes time pass differently. I'm just living in that mile. It takes focus and it's hard to concentrate that long, but there is no opportunity then for any stupid mental negative talk. And, and she followed up, we followed up um, recently and um, actually through us, um, Pat has gotten in touch with one of our other runners, who's also a 60 plus um, masters female runner, strong female runner, who um, we hope and expect to qualify for Boston as well, her upcoming marathon. And they connected through us. And uh, she had written Pat after her race to congratulate her and ask her for her advice on, on the mental approach as, as Susan, our other runner, gets ready for her marathon. And, um, you know, she, uh, I'll read it. It's a little bit long, but I, I just wanted to to read what she wrote because I think it's really, really important. Um, you know, she said Pat had said she's always nervous before a race and had done the shakeout run the day before the race and three miles just on the course preview. And she did it at a nine minute pace um, and couldn't imagine that she was going to be able to run her target of about 825 to 830 pace for 26.2 miles the next day. Um, she said, Lisa said that 8.30 would seem slow on race day. I wanted to believe her, but I was filled with such doubt. The night before a marathon is not fun for me. I always have a pretty strong case of nerves and doubt. But I also know that I can change that doubt. I really practice this. Just changing what my mind is thinking. And I did that in my hotel room. I started thinking very positively about race day magic, which is a real thing. I also started looking for signs that I was going to do well. Here's a favorite. The book I was reading that night used the phrase farther and faster. I said to myself, 
it's a sign. I sound a bit crazy, I guess, but mental game of marathon is so huge. So part of my strategy is dealing with, with nerves doubt before. Remember that worry uses glycogen. No use wasting any of that. And, and she just followed up with to say um, that, you know, we certainly could share this and, and tell people to look for signs of success. They are everywhere. And I just love that. And this is what we try to communicate to all of our runners. And I just thought she put that in words so eloquently. Of Once you're physically trained, the rest is in your head. And it's basically your opportunity to figure out how are you going to look at this and how are you going to find those signs around you and believe in yourself and push out any of those doubts. When you're thinking, we, we get this all the time. And I can't tell you how many of you know my runners, and I'm sure yours have said it to you too recently, as we are getting ready for some marathons. Of, I can't imagine holding that pace for 26.2 miles when they practice marathon pace miles, or I can't imagine. And that happens to us a lot. I always say, I can't imagine. How did I do that? Or how will I do that? And if you let those doubts take over, where the mind goes, the body follows. So change that around and really, I, I like Pat's focus on run the mile that you're in and really just think about that mile. Don't think about what was behind you. Don't think about what's ahead and really um, think focus on, on that, focus on where you are in the present. And I just think that's great advice. So anyone who's got a marathon coming up, any type of race coming up or play this back when you do have your race coming up, that's what you do the night before. That's what you do the week before the race is that's what you focus on is that, that mental aspect. That's right. I also really appreciated Pat's point, uh, which I think all of us tend to do, is we waste a lot of energy worrying. We waste a lot of energy thinking about what could go wrong. And that energy, actually, that mental energy that we waste, that we waste can affect us and deplete our energy for race day. So remember that our mental energy is just as important as our physical energy. And we all feel drained. It's not necessarily when we feel drained because we've done physical exertion, often it's mental exertion. So why wouldn't that be the same for race day? If we spend a lot of time thinking negative thoughts, that is exhausting and that can deplete us for race day. So thank you so much to Pat for sharing uh, your wisdom and congratulations to her. And we look forward to hearing about so many successes and, and race and race experiences over the next few months. We're starting to get them back and it's so fun to be able to talk about them, Lisa, finally. <laughs> it, it is, and, and I would just add one thing, you know, um, we talk about wasting energy worrying. Um, nerves before a race are normal and actually good. That That's giving you the adrenaline that you're gonna need for that race day magic. So I think I would differentiate between nerves, good nerves, and bad worry or wasteful worry um, and, and that wasting that energy. But, um, but yeah, I think it's a, um, it's been great to see our runners come back. And I think it's a little scary for runners too, to come back to racing. We've talked about that before, but it's a, it, it's a little bit scary and it's kind of ripping off that bandaid of going back out and trusting in yourself and trusting in your training when you haven't had many ways to measure that training over the last gosh, year and a half now almost. Yeah. And that's something I mean, we can talk about because I feel like we touched on that this week in our interview with author, Rachel Ann Cullen, and we'll talk about who she is in a moment, but one of the things Rachel talked about that really resonated with us as coaches and runners is that we need to all stop identifying as runners by our race time or our race successes. It's all about, and we've said this so much, many of you listening know what I'm about to say. It's all about the process. And if we aren't enjoying the process, what's the point? But sometimes we still get caught up in, I am an XX marathoner. I did blankety blank on this race. And that is not who we are as people. And that's certainly not who we are as runners. And 
perhaps if we can kind of parse that out when we return to racing and not put that pressure on ourselves to achieve a time that we think we should run because that's a time that we've run before. It's just a race time. Getting out there and running the race is what it's all about. And nobody's looking at you. They're thinking about themselves. I think there's also this sort of unspoken feeling of pressure where others feel like, oh, other others might be looking at my times. No, everyone's thinking about themselves and their own performances. And we all are out there to do our very best and support each other. And there's room for everyone to succeed. And if if you feel that you didn't do as well as you would have liked, so what? You still got out there and raced and now you have a benchmark to work from. Um, in fact, after COVID, if you go out and race and set a PR, well, that's kind of hard because then you're, you only can go up from there. And so maybe look at it that your first race after COVID, if it's not close to what you've done before, great. That means you have uh, more room to work with to set your first post-COVID PR. Absolutely. That's a, that's a good, um, yeah. It's all about the perspective. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, speaking of our guest, we had a phenomenal guest on our podcast this week. Uh, her name is Rachel Ann Collin. And Rachel is, first of all, she has the coolest accent. She lives in England. And she's the author of the book, um, Running for My Life. And Rachel is also not only a two-time author, she's a mental health advocate, and she's also an amazing runner herself. So in her book, and she talks about this in the interview, but we talk about so much more, but the book, she basically shares uh, that she had a really tough go for a while in her life. She suffered uh, from depression and abusive relationship, body dysmorphia, and bipolar disorder. And then she became a mom. And most people, when they become parents, they, they dial back their running. And Rachel decided after not really running much at all that she wanted to do something really positive for herself. So she ran the London Marathon. And she talks about what that looked like for her and basically how running changed her life forever. This is not a cliche story, though. There's a lot to this. And Rachel is very honest and, and, and very vulnerable in the conversation where she shares a lot about herself about her mental health journey, about her running journey. And she also shares, she took a, an, a full hour, over an hour off her marathon time. And she shares, while that was a huge accomplishment, she shares some of the negative consequences as a result of that too. And we just found this conversation to be very uplifting, very informative. And uh, the book is also great, you guys. It's also available on Audible. So we'll put the link in the show notes to her book. And she also has a second book. And I, I'm afraid we didn't get to talk about that, but definitely check that out um, as well. And that book focuses more on injury and running and what she did to navigate that. So um, yeah, so we will talk to Rachel Ann Cullen. And before we go, Lisa, we just want to give a shout out to our sponsors. Uh, you might have noticed we had some different music this week. That's because our editor had a baby and we're so happy she did. But until she is able to return from maternity leave, she has our music. So we have different music and a little bit of an unedited podcast this week. So we'll just give a shout out to our sponsors. Go ahead, Lisa. Yeah, well, you know, um, again, our sponsors are <laughs> are some of our favorite products that we use ourselves and um, that we we love. Uh, Ufo's shoes. Um, I know I've been wearing my Ufo's a lot. I got um, my friend who I run with hooked on Ufo's, and he's been wearing them a lot and says they've changed his life. So um, they're really, um, you know, we uh, 
a lot of our runners have started wearing them and really um, just as a recovery shoe. And also um, if anyone's suffering from plantar fasciitis, that's where how I discovered them first. So UFOs shoes, we thank UFOs for sponsoring us and stay tuned. We will have another UFOs giveaway for April uh, next week. And, um, and then Spy Belt which I know is a, is a product I've used for both of us, I think, have, but I know I've used it probably my almost my entire running career. And actually, even in my MCRC running bio, it asks for what's your, you know, one must have piece of running gear. And that's my spy belt because I got to have a place for my phone or my nutrition. So I always love my spy belt. My spy belt even turned it in my purse. So I don't even carry a purse. So love my spy belt. And then Lily Trotter's compression socks, which are a little bit newer to us, but that we really like um, their style and functionality of, of, of for you know, help with after after our long runs or harder workouts, um, or just even when you're hiking and don't want to get ticks on your on you, as I found out through my hike. But um, but uh, Lily Trotter's compression socks. So we thank our sponsors for supporting us and supporting the running community, and all of our runners um, that have have tried these some of our favorite items over the years that we've recommended to them. Um, so we thank them for sponsoring us. Thanks, Lisa. All right, well, we're gonna turn it over to Rachel and Colin, and thank you everyone for listening. And if you haven't done so already, please leave us a review so that you can, that will help others find our podcast. Lisa, I hope you have a great week. Thanks, Julie, you too. Bye. Bye. Rachel and Colin, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. You are an author and runner extraordinaire and an advocate for mental health awareness. And we are just so thrilled to have you today. So Rachel, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, um, hi, um, guys. Thanks so much for, for asking me to, to speak to you today. Um, I'm from the UK. I'm a, a mum. I'm a runner, an avid, freaky, keen runner. love running. Um, I've written two books um, about my experiences with running mental health. The first one of those came out in 2018. Um, called Running For My Life and that documents sort of the journey from being really unhealthy physically and mentally to a place where running became a huge part of my life, a massive part of my recovery from mental health illness really and the second book was kind of the opposite part of the journey which was when running fell apart for me and what that meant for my mental health and the impact it had. Um, so I'm, I'm quite well versed in sort of uh, issues of <laughs> mental health the the experience of running and how that makes such a huge difference to um a, you know day-to-day -day experience and, and life you know I'm, I'm speaking now today 11 years free from mental health medication which I I uh, put really largely down to not solely down to that wouldn't be fair but largely down to the discovery of running so before we dig into your story and and um allow you to explain a little bit more about your journey. Um, I just wanna ask you so that we can clarify from the outset, you're not saying that it's good or bad to be on medication or that running is a substitute. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, just to be really clear. Yeah, um, sorry if there's any confusion on that. No, um, it's my firm view that for the years that I was on fluoxetine, which is a, a, um, a different name for Prozac medication. It was really important that I was on that medication, um, if not for all of that time, because I was on it for quite a long number of years, but certainly for the start of the, the, the experience that I was having, 
um, it was it was really valuable and I do believe it was a, something that I needed at, at the time and just to put a, another sort of caveat on that my mum I talk about her ex experience with mental health issues um, in my first book and actually she is still on mental health medication a different type to to the one that I was on but she does need that and it hasn't been possible for her to come off that um, so this is not about running can save men you know it can be the problem to mental health issues um and also, I think I, I sort of made reference to running not being the only thing that's helped me to manage that. So, for example, I have received um, some therapy for body dysmorphia, which was a massive help um, for me in dealing with that as, as a mental health um, condition. So at one point, perhaps I misunderstood and believed that running was the, the full answer to, to my <laughs> to my issues. But then subsequently, a little bit further down the line, it became apparent it wasn't. So as much as I'm an advocate for running and I love running, it's just a, such a huge part of who I am, not even just, you know, what I do. Um, it is not a quick fix solution for, for, for some or all of uh, mental health issues. So no, to be very clear on that, thank, thank you for asking for, for clarification though, because it's important to get that right. <laughs> thank you, that, that was beautifully said. So because we are a running podcast, Rachel, we'll start with the running topic yeah, first. Please. So share with us, um, tell us about your running journey. I think a lot of people could relate to your journey. And then I, we want to dig in from, um, how you were able to improve your time so significantly. So first, let's talk about where you started, and then we'll talk a little bit about your training and, and where you are now. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so running, I've had a, a long um, a long and drawn out relationship with running. It's, it's not the case that, um, you know, one day I decided to put some trainers on and then the following week, you know, it, it, I had this epiphany and it was suddenly brilliant and I fell in love with it and it was fabulous and it was, and it was just this joyful thing. And that's not how my journey with running started. Um, it began when I was um, about 18 years old. Um, I'd just been um, dumped by a, a particularly um, unpleasant boyfriend um, who was just, you know, he wasn't altogether his fault, but I had very low self-esteem at the time. And he would say things to kind of reinforce that low self-esteem and make um, comments about my physicality. I was overweight at the time. I didn't have very much confidence. And anyway, he ended the relationship. And from that, I think I kind of hit a, a rock bottom. Um, my worth and my sense of, of value was in that relationship, not in myself. Um, so when that relationship ended, as fragile and as horrible as it as it was, and, it, and as unhealthy as it was, it kind of shocked me into wanting to do something to perhaps, I don't know, feel better about myself, maybe lose some weight, maybe feel a bit stronger physically and mentally. But it really knocked me to the point where it, it was a bit like um, a jump start to do something. Um, and I didn't really have a plan as to what that would be. Um, but I guess the beauty of running is all you need is a pair of trainers. Um, you don't need to any expensive kit. You don't need to go anywhere. You can go out of your own front door. You can jog walk. You don't even have to run if you don't want to. You can just go and try and then, and then slow down, stop, start, stop, start. So that's kind of what I did. Um, when that relationship ended, I kind of saw it as a 
as miserable as I felt at the time, it was a chance for me to kind of just do something to kind of grapple with this really low sense of self-worth that, that no 18 year old girl should, should have, you know, it's just not, it's just not a thing. It's just not right. So, you know, that was the start of a very, very long journey. Um, and, and yeah, it kind of ebbed and flowed over the next um, decade or so. Um, and it depends on where you want to go with this, because I could I could sit and just rattle on from sort of age 18 to where I'm, I'm at now. Um, but there are some certain key points along the way. So it might be good to kind of fast forward to to a another point at this at this time. Yeah, start. Start with where, where when, what, what, where do you feel is kind of that, 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 that yeah, uh, then, pivotal point? That yeah. You, you so, know, that... so the first thing to mention is, so when I first started, um, I'd, I had this really, um, it was a really kind of a, a short route from my mum's house. I lived with my mum at the time and I kind of did the same route. It was a kind of a three mile 5k circuit. I couldn't run all of it by any means. Um, I look back and I live in the same area um, still. So when I go back to that area, I can still see the bumps in the road that I used to think were hills. Um, it seems so short now. I'm thinking, oh my God, you know. But at the time, that was a big deal for me. And I spent many months just doing that one route, no variation to it. It was kind of something that, I didn't have the confidence to do anything further or anymore. I wasn't in a club. It was kind of a really tiny, tiny part of, um, it's a tiny start to, to running. Um, and then fitness, it wasn't really running that then took off for me. It was just a sense of well-being with fitness generally. So running didn't become really this big thing for me for many years, um, but fitness and being active did. Um, so just to kind of take a little bit of a sidestep here, the next stage in my journey really was during my legal career. I was a um, I was a lawyer in my twenties, and <laughs> I'm seeing a big me too. Yeah, we are, that's how we uh, both and we both came that... to running through through our both of us started running in law school as stress relief. Yeah, so, yeah. well, yeah. this well, this we we relate again because. Um, in the early years of my kind of traineeship um, and qualification, one thing that really kept me sane was, and I was on mental health meds at this point, by the way, but it was the hour and a half that I would take at lunchtime to go to the gym. So I would go to the gym, I'd get on the gym bike, I'd do some weights, feel loads better about myself. And that was the thing that really, something began to connect then between physical and mental well-being for me something began to cement and it wasn't running at that point it was just the physical fitness feeling better about myself and stronger and the sense of relief from the office and all of that stuff so yeah we still haven't really discovered running at this point but then the epiphany came and it was an epiphany when I became pregnant with my um, daughter um in 2010 and at the time of the pregnancy I tr we tried to have uh, to have Tilly we wanted to have a, a child we, we were very very lucky but I had this real terror of motherhood and what that would do to me physically and mentally physically because I had no idea I'd heard these horror stories of you know you lose all your fitness you know your body turns into a sack of potatoes you know you'll never get you you know everything goes um 
you know you lose yourself to to pregnancy and it ravishes the body and all of this stuff mentally because I was told by my GP that I would have to come off the fluoxetine for the pregnancy and to breastfeed so the early stages of motherhood so both those things together were a kind of catalyst for me to need it was a need not want to need to do something to catapult myself into motherhood and to prove that I had the physical and mental strength to kind of deal with it and at that time I had never run a marathon before I'd always wanted to I'd had a few kind of pie in the sky dreams of running the New York marathon in 2006 but that didn't happen for, for a number of reasons but I'd never run a marathon before um, and during the pregnancy I decided that was the time at which I would run um, I'd set myself the goal to run my first marathon on the other side of of the pregnancy so we're talking um 2010 the london marathon uh, would happen in the april of 2011 and so i entered the public ballot to run the london marathon in 2011 and i write about this in the book the whole story of kind of that as my being the thing that was going to kind of get me through physically and mentally this is the goal and it mattered so much to me i was driven to do this um had no idea that the chances of getting a place in the London Marathon were kind of slim to none. Completely naive to that. I just thought you put your name in a hat and, you know, reasonably, you know, I had no concept that, that many people apply for years and years and years and don't get a place. Um, but I did get a bad place in that marathon. And so Matilda was born in at the end of September 2010. And I then had seven months to, just short of seven months actually, to get myself from um, having her at the end of September to bring the marathon in the April. And that journey is the, the journey. It was so tough and it was so intense, but it was so pivotal um, because it, it kind of showed me what I was capable of and, and it took my love of running to such a deep level. And I fundamentally... Um, believe that that was the point at which running became a massive part of me um, and from there it kind of shot off into a completely um, new place I did run that marathon um, my daughter was seven months old at the time and it was it was just so huge it meant such a lot um, for me to to not only get to the to cross the finishing line but to make it to the start line because you've done all the hard work you've done all the training you know I was running and training completely alone I was not in a running club it was me doing my own training and to prove that I had the mental and the physical resilience to come through remain off my um, mental health meds and kind of just cement myself draw myself a line in the sand and say you are strong enough to do this you're strong enough to to be a mum you're strong enough to, to face motherhood and you will not be broken by um by this onset of this scary place called you know called parenthood and this whole new scary world you know you're up for it you're able to do it and, and that was a huge kind of um a learning um from that so the marathon people say a marathon isn't isn't 
running's about more than running it's about life and it was kind of a really symbolic thing for me to know that I could do this and not just in the context of running it was in the context of everything um so really although I'd kind of baby steps tentatively started um teenage years because of this boyfriend the epiphany and the real um the real kind of cementing running and all that it could mean and did mean to me was in that the goal to run the London Marathon and that was um that was yeah 10 years 11 years ago now so you you run the London Marathon um you have a newborn you're managing your training with um lack of sleep and things like that but yeah. it's 10 years ago and and when we're younger we do things and <laughs> Actually, I have back, a question. Rachel had so did you said you did your own training did you kind of just come up yeah. with your own plan and have a sense of how did you I mean and and, and balancing <laughs> that with a newborn and how, yeah. how, how did you do tell us just a little bit yeah. about how you, how you trained for that that's a very very good question and the answer to that um I do write about that quite a lot in in the book the 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 truthful answer is a I didn't really have a clue b I kind of made it up as I went along um it was based on the premise naive premise in many ways of build up your mileage you just need to run for longer and longer and longer but the the way that I and I wouldn't really advocate this for anybody you know there are ways of you know of researching this there are ways of you know there are many tools out there to kind of learn how to train properly for for a half marathon for a full marathon so this is not my sort of you know go-to place this is this isn't the best plan but it was my plan um what I decided to do was to enter races a series of events um just increasing the distances so I would start with a a 5k um event I think that one was the Santa Dash because it was around sort of the Christmas time thinking that I was coming out of the I had my daughter at the end of September and then I went on to a 10k race and then did a couple of half marathons did a 20 mile um race and I didn't see these particularly as races it wasn't about the outcome of those it was literally about familiarizing myself with with a re- an event it's preparing myself for the for the nerves for the apprehension for the start line you know you you go through the the, the whole rigmarole of putting your bib on putting putting you getting your gels so my way was to do yeah look through the race calendar online online and kind of pick um the races that and, and schedule them in over that six month period um and I, and i think that kind of worked for me in the sense of I had a defined date for those events you know I could plan and work around them um they were managed so there was, it was a, a defined distance it kind of um, monitored my progress you know can I get to a half marathon for February you know it was kind of that was the way I did it um but in hindsight it all seems so naive <laughs> and it all seems <laughs> and it, it almost but you did seems... it and you made it to the finish line <laughs> And what, what was your finish time in the, that first marathon? Yeah, so my, my finish time for the for the first marathon was um, four hours, 25 minutes. Very respectable. <laughs> yeah, it was, but it was, you know, it was just an incredible experience. And to think that my body had, could do that from seven months prior, you know, giving birth to, to you know, my daughter it was an incredible sense of achievement so really I think for most people they would admit that they never do their first marathon for a time it's literally just to, to finish and then you start thinking right okay 
my body can do this so let's see let's see where we go with this now so did that happen with with you when you finished did you immediately think I want to do another one or did what was your what, what was your your reaction yeah when you finished? Yeah, I, th- I think that that happened. I think it was it was literally a case of this. This has been so joyful, and of course it hurts. But actually, like I said, the real pain and the real hurt comes in the six months of training prior. So the the marathon itself is kind of a that's a celebration. That's a time to you know get your medal and and you know you you, you tell your family and friends and 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 you you live that experience, you know, that's the, that's where the, um, the magic happens, you know, the hard work is, is in, is in the run up. But I think that's when I knew that I would go back to London. Um, and I knew that I would run more marathons and it was, it was just that it was just, you know, I, I love doing this and more than just the marathon itself, I realized what the six months of training had given me because I, I loved that too. I enjoyed getting up early and getting out on the dark, cold, windy, rainy mornings and, and getting you know, a 10 mile run in. I enjoyed the feeling of accomplishment. I enjoyed, you know, feeling the progress and feeling um, as though I could, I can do this, you know? So there's something about enjoying the journey as well as the actual outcome of the marathon. So that was where the real love of, of running and the process of, of, training as well as the actual marathon itself began do you think during that time um having sort of the parallel marathon training with the journey of parenting was helpful because in a way with training for something and i think this is why a lot of us enjoy training you have the structure and you have sort of a controllable that you can control as opposed to the new world order of parenting where we we don't have necessarily a predictability and control as much um do you think that was a comfort for you during that time oh massively so yeah and, and I think because you know I was at the time I was kind of at a high risk of perhaps suffering from um depression you know postnatal depression I was probably high on the on the list of, of women who would be likely to, to do that I think it gave me an, an enormous sense of control and um an ability to not only manage my time and actually like you say diarize this stuff amidst the stuff that you can't control you know the, the, you, your baby to, to to a certain extent controls you but for that hour or those two hours my time is mine again my freedom and I associated running with freedom it was my time to get out and away from the you know, otherwise it can feel very, to me, it felt very claustrophobic at times. You know, I didn't just kind of morph into this um, place of motherhood that everything felt comfortable and, 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 and even, yeah, it, some bits of it were really challenging. You know, the whole thing of having to remain indoors in, in, in bad weather, you can't go out, you know, you, baby's too small everything feels so kind of it shrinks to to a certain extent but then the running was my time to to kind of just experience freedom and switch off from 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 that stuff so yeah definitely we can very much relate to that I think even now we are parents of teens (laughs) and Mm -hmm. while our children are not newborns and and neither is is your daughter Tilly anymore it's still just having something of your own when you're doing so much for others is, is really important. So 
You did something really remarkable, though. You went from your first marathon where you ran a 420, 425 to, I believe your PR now is, is it 311? It's 316, actually. So I've never quite got under. Um, so yeah, I got, I got um, 316 um, in 2014 and uh, 317 at the London Marathon in 2015. So they're, they're 45 seconds between them. But yeah, we're not, not quite at 311, but 316. No, no, no. And, and, and trust us, 316, three, it's all amazing. And what's really remarkable is how you, you dropped your marathon time and a relatively quick time period. So talk to us. Um, a lot of our listeners are marathoners and just share a little bit about what you did in your training to, to accomplish that. Okay. Um, so the, I think the biggest thing for, for me, um, in the training was during a period of time from say the end of 2013 through to 2016, I did a lot of races and, bit like the original marathon plan where you know I'd, I'd structured the different distances in I became familiar with going to run many many half marathons at, at the weekend the races for me were I believe a real a really good opportunity to push my pace beyond that that I would have done myself so you know other people may run with the club or they may do track and, and you know I've got a run coach now and so I do things a little bit differently but at the time I was kind of hooked on racing and some of that was healthy some of it perhaps wasn't it became a little bit too much at times and I'm happy to talk about what that meant and what happened there but yeah throughout yeah, those, the, I, I will I'll come on to that but throughout the, those years it was literally a case of me becoming familiar with pushing myself um particularly the half marathon distance and I think any any of your listeners who I'm sure they will have done races of varying distances you always push yourself more <laughs> in a race you nobody ever surely not not that I know turns up to a race and and sort of doesn't just just nudge the the pace a little bit more whether it's you chasing the person in front of you or whether it's you feel a pressure from behind or whether it's you know you you're on with your own your own time and your own your own watch but I found the racing to be something that really helped me to just go beyond my natural kind of speed for, the, for that kind of distance for the half marathon distance and and beyond um, so that was the the first thing. Then I began doing things like um, treadmill intervals. So I'd start to do some speed work on the on the tread. But the point I mentioned about overdoing the races, it became there was a tipping point in about 2016, where I started to put an awful lot of pressure on myself to get PRs at every single race that I did at every distance, and that became a really heavy burden to carry. You know, like am I going to beat 316? Am I going to, you know, how close am I going to get? And that became unhealthy. Um, so I had to kind of rethink that strategy because it was no longer working um, just to kind of go and bash out, you know, these races weekend after weekend. And sometimes dare I say with not enough rest in between, you know, it's, you know, the score it's, it's, it's not great. And as coaches, you'll know yourself, um, that's a route to kind of, you know, 
plateau and then kind of deteriorating performance. Um, but again, I didn't have a coach. I didn't know any better. And I think what happened, my ego got involved and I just kept, and maybe, you know, to some extent, my self-esteem, I felt like my worth was now what my best marathon time was. And actually it wasn't that. So I had to kind of unpick all that stuff um, and learn, learn how to love running again, learn how to run sensibly, learn how to train properly and kind of do it in a way that wasn't punishing me anymore. And that wasn't kind of a constant, um, yeah, a constant push all the time. You know, you can run it, you should run easy, you know, many times, you know, it's an 80 20 rule or whatever, you know, you should run easy. I had no concept of running easy. You know, it's comical to think that for those three years, my marathon pace was literally not many seconds off my 5K pace. And that's crazy. It's like, to run a 5k at a similar pace to your marathon and to not know that there's a difference in paces there or there should be or you know you should be working faster on the shorter and you you know it's kind of it defies <laughs> all running logic so for me there was like one pace and one pace only so I've had to learn a lot about you know doing it in a way that, that my body or anybody's body can do sustainably and for the longer term um, and that was quite a quite a tough journey. Yeah, how, how did that talk talk to that just a little bit because I think a lot of us find us find ourselves in that position exactly your position where you started running and you talked about that feeling at the end of your first marathon where you didn't care about your time it was just that feeling of accomplishment and strength and you know proving that yeah. you could do it and now we get to the point where then you think you know, we all creep towards that point of like, well, maybe time does matter a little. And oh, maybe can I get yeah. a little faster? You know, we're yeah. not always going to be getting PRs. And especially as we get yeah. older, you know, we start. And so for, for runners who, who are find themselves in that kind of that cycle, and that yeah. time, how did you get out of it? Yeah. Okay. So there was a, there was an incident in the, the Dubai marathon in 2016. And I ran the Dubai marathon. There were loads of factors that kind of led to it being a really tough you know it was a tough day you know the, the heat was immense you know I had jet lag got up at 4am and these are not excuses they're just it's just a reality this was not going to be a day for me to, to to PR and on that day I ran as hard as I could and um, I perhaps had overdone the training in the run-up to it and put a lot of pressure on myself and I crawled across the finishing line um in was it 330 335 was it 338 but and that was 20 minutes off my PR um so if you imagine for, for me and my mental health that was kind of a, oh my god you've done so badly here but I saw other people who were kind of 20 30 minutes slower than than their PRs you know this was a different climate you know the heat affects your body sleep deprivation eating at different times you know there's so many factors that I refused to see and acknowledge the only thing I could see was my own failure so what happened then the next morning as in the morning after the Dubai marathon I forced myself to get out and run um in tears and in a lot of physical pain because I told myself that I wasn't that it wasn't good enough so get out and run again you've got to get out and run again and I remember doing that and 
it's only kind of later on after you know some help to to figure this stuff out that I look back and think what a horrible experience that was to actually put myself through such torment on broken legs after a marathon the next morning feet still swollen blisters in the, the <laughs> in the heat of Dubai in tears literally unable to to walk but I've forced myself to run six miles 10k up and down the front in Dubai because I hadn't done well enough and that was a turning point for me because I couldn't do it anymore um and it was becoming so destructive and to to kind of look back and and think about that the impact not only physically of that experience but mentally and the damage that that kind of thinking does that made me reassess everything and kind of think right okay it's not okay to finish any marathon and to beat yourself up so much that it causes physical and mental um you know such really terrible impacts physically and mentally after, after that experience so uh throughout 2017 um my body just really began to rebel and, and not want to run at all it just had enough and I had to kind of go back to the experiences like at Dubai and kind of think right okay that cannot happen again this cannot happen it cannot be that you turn up and do that to yourself because it's just it's just unkind and it's and it's and it's not going to work and it doesn't work and I think that was a real turning point for me to kind of think okay why am I even running it running now why am I running anymore without that love and without that joy and if it's all about the times and if it's all about the outcome then why so I had to kind of go right back to the start and rediscover what it was you know what was that joy tune into to to the the many, many hundreds of, of uh, memories and of, of other races and marathons and other occasions when running was a joyful thing. It was it was a beautiful thing. It was a, it was a thing to celebrate. And I had to kind of choose to be there and to let go of, of the other stuff. Um, and it's taken me a while to do that, but I'm finally there. And I think now being able to kind of look back on the whole experience of Dubai and, and the the really awful mental health implications of that you know it's caused me to, to reassess things but that was the point at which it was like this isn't right this is not right and, and it has to it has to stop what advice do you have to runners who are struggling with that um identity issue where perhaps they're emphasizing too much um their identity as a runner by their race times. What advice do you have in terms of how you shifted your perspective? It's a really difficult balance to strike. And, and as runners, you you guys know, you know, you've done the Boston Marathon how many times between you? You know what, what it means. You know, my goal now, I want to come back, qualify again, come back to Boston, but we all know what it means to get these PRs. We know what it means to, to come, you know, to to achieve things that, that at one point is only a is only a dream it means such a lot but it can't be the only reason for us doing it it can't be because if it is it's kind of a hollow victory and I think to not I think it comes back to that first marathon it wasn't just the marathon that I loved it was the journey up to it it was the process of of the training and and kind of overcoming all those 
um, obstacles in the run-up to it. So it's rediscovering that love of running for running's sake without the the need for, for an outcome at the end of it all. And I think maybe with the COVID pandemic, it's impacted on races. It's had, you know, we haven't been able to race for such, such a long time now. I think for many people, it's perhaps helped, hopefully it's helped us to reassess what running means to us and perhaps value it more and to realise that actually the things that we get from running, it's more than the medal, it's more than the bib, it's about the freedom and the, the, the all of the other million things it gives us every single day without a medal attached to it. So I think it's kind of tuning into that and bring, being appreciative of you know I'm more grateful for my body being able to to do this um you know there haven't been races for a year now but to just understand what it would be like to not run forget the races how would it feel to not be able to run most days every day whatever your routine is and that loss I would personally find far more um devastating than than no races so I think it's kind of what do we want from this you know if it's only to chase pbs if it's only to, to do that there has to be something more you know we are all going to age we're going to get we are we get we, we get older <laughs> that happens you know there'll be a time when we don't P, pr anymore it just it will happen to all of us and it's not to say that we should put a time limit on that but to lose the sight of you know, the things that we experience in, in your own, you know, where you live, you know, where were the routes that you love to run? What do you love to see? What time of day works for you? You know, do you listen to music? What are the things that bring you joy? I think it's to kind of tune into that and see that as part of the journey. Um, the PRs come as a result of that, I'm sure they do. Um, so it's all kind of, it's difficult balance to strike. Um, I know that as, as well as the next person, but I do believe it's possible. Um, and I think that I'm in a place now where I'm kind of at, at the right at the right balance. That's great advice, um, and and it really resonates with us as coaches and as runners. So great advice. So um, shifting gears a little bit, you um, had the courage to write a book about your journey. So share with us what prompted you to decide to share your journey with the world. And that's a very vulnerable space to be in. And then basically run what feels like to us 20 marathons by writing a book <laughs> because we would imagine that process is much more difficult in many ways than training and running a marathon so talk to us about why you decided to write a book and what that process was like yeah sure um again there's a very distinct um memory that I have of the the, the point at which I decided to write the book and that was in the bath tub before the London Marathon 2015 um, and it happened then and the reason is the October before I'd got my PB my PR of 316 um, people were beginning to kind of make judgments about oh well it's going to be easy for you because you've done a marathon if you've done marathons before well look at your times it's easier for you you're a runner you look like a runner and it's kind of um, I began to get, I don't know, a little bit, well, actually, that, that's not the full story. And I kind of wanted to set the, just tell the, the, the real story about, you know, the fact that, you know, 
a what does a runner look like or yes I've got some decent some pretty good marathon times but actually the journey to get to that place was perhaps different to, to um the one that that somebody who didn't know me might imagine it to be so for example age 16 um I was overweight um I was about three and a half yeah three stone overweight I couldn't run for 10 minutes um I would be frequently in the last handful of of girls in the um, cross-country race at school you know it's a classic story there are many people who um turn that around as, as I as I did um and I used to have kind of a really a self-loathing relationship with my body I felt you know I was big I was as cumbersome I was um you know not built for sport not built for exercise certainly not not built to run so there was a part of me that wanted to kind of document the journey mentally and physically um to kind of show that someone may appear to be a natural runner or <laughs> for this to come easy but actually it, it's not always the case um and there was a part of me as well that kind of felt the need to write my story down because it took some getting used to in my own head you know I was putting pressure on myself to get like we've just been talking about um I was hoping to go to get 315 I wanted to get sub 315 at London in 2015 and I was kind of a little bit overwhelmed with that journey I'd been on from a non-sporty kind of overweight kid to the person on mental health meds to the to the person who kind of you know set this goal to run the marathon 2011 and then kind of crept away up um to this place where I was in the bathtub before the the, the day before the London marathon 2015 thinking how the hell have I got here so there was part of me kind of wanting to give a fair reflection as to to the the, the journey that I'd been on um, and there was a part of me that, that felt like it was something I needed to do just to kind of process the different lives and the different um, chapters, to use a, a book pun, um, the different lives and the chapters that, that I'd lived to, to get to that point. So that was when I never knew that, that, that it would be published and I never I never had any idea what would happen then. But that's the point at which I thought I'm going to write this down and I'm going to write it in a book. Um, and, and that's that's really when when it starts. It's a very I can pinpoint it to that day. So if we knew the day of London Marathon 2015, it's the day before then. And that's that's kind of when I thought, right, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to tell this story because I felt like other people might be able to relate as well. You know, what does a runner look like? And for me to receive comments like um oh well you know you should be able to run fast you're tall and you've got a runner's build nobody was saying that to me when I was um you know still the same height but three stone three stones heavy it's kind of this dispelling this some of these judgments that we make on each other and ourselves um and I thought that other people may be able to relate to to that and it's subsequently that's proven to be the case it's amazing. I think there are a lot of us that say things to ourselves like, I should write a book about this, but never do. So how, what was the process like from that moment in the, in the bathtub when you decided to write the book to uh, starting to write a book and then finding a publisher? What, what was that like? Yeah, it was long and long and painful is the, is the truth of it. And, and there are many times the analogy is correct. Um, you know, writing a book is very similar to running a marathon. It's such a long process. 
um, almost ridiculously long. You know, it was, um, but you just start writing, you know, there's no magic to it. You just have to start, you know, if you're compelled to tell a story, whatever that story is, you know, for some people, it's about a part of their own experience. For other people, they have, you know, it's fiction, whatever the story is that, that, that you are compelled to, to share, to write, to tell. It's just a case of um, diligently sitting down and writing it. There, there really is no, just like with the marathon training, there is no shortcut. You know, you cannot just gallop ahead and ta-da, there's a book. You know, it, it takes hours and hours and months, um, not only to write it, but then the whole process of sending submissions off and, you know, again, it's months to do that to anyone who's had the experience of kind of doing this. You have to hone any application to a publishers, to um, literary agents. They all want a certain that the, the submission to be sent in a certain format. You know, it can be different. It takes just a ridiculous amount of effort to do that. But, you know, I, I got a spreadsheet and I went through um, just again just 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 do it just just get the bit like an a to z of the the agents and publishers did my research and um it fell in the inbox of of a publisher who kind of saw the the very raw essence of the story i wanted to to share and uh, and it went from there so long and hard <laughs> harder than any marathon was it ever uncomfortable when you shared your autobiography, knowing that you perhaps were, you know, not intentionally, but it was just your story, yeah. uh, shedding light on the truth for others that they may not have perceived as their truth? Was that hard? Yeah, I think I think it was, and I, I think um, in in hindsight, I was very naive um, to, to that, and when my book came out in 2018 and I was kind of thrust into just having just talking about my experiences from a from a person who kind of lived a lot of my life um feeling and being invisible you know I wasn't the the person with the most confidence you know I wasn't the person that, that was able to sort of stand up and, and volunteer information let alone about myself um that is a difficult thing to ask somebody to do who comes from a place of perhaps being more familiar with hiding than than with being open and, and upfront. And I think over the the last three years, I've I've had to grow into that, and I've had to become. But running's helped me again. Running has helped so much with that self belief and confidence. You know, it just it just has. Um, and as much as yes it was very difficult to kind of just, I didn't realize really what, what would happen when I put my story out there, but it it is, and it was a little bit overwhelming at times. And, um, but there was so, there, there has been so much positivity that's come back from it. And, and every single time it happens um, still, people, contact me and say you know which parts of the story oh my god my childhood um my childhood sounds just like yours and you know people share so much of their own stories with me and that matters such a lot um every single time it happens and it, and it reinforces to me 
the power of sharing stories and the, the way that they really can and it does um, help um, all of us because actually what it says is we're not alone and we never were alone and it says that at the times plural when perhaps you thought I'm the only person feeling like this I'm the only person experiencing this you know I, I'm in this place whether it's a difficult relationship whether it's a, a feeling of, of you know you don't feel great about yourself whether it's a career that, you, that you're not in tune with whether you're fearing you know I'm a new mum and it's all overwhelming somebody has been there before and somebody is there now and I think it's just a sharing of of that so what writing and sharing my, my story has done on two occasions and now it's opened up the possibility for other people to kind of um share in that and kind of um talk about their own experiences too and to feel as though parts of my story resonate with with their own and that's been just an incredible thing um so as scary as it's been at times um it's just been the most wonderful thing to know that there are so many other people out there that, that have um you know similar things in in, the, in their lives they've experienced similar things they have a similar ethos or there are certain you know their whys their reasons might be different to mine but there's something that we share and I think so much of that comes down to the core of of running helping us in some way just to discover this essence of who we are um so in sharing my story yes wet behind the ears yes scary and frightening for a person who's kind of perhaps more introverted than people would imagine yes but so worthwhile um and I really believe that that it, that it matters and I'm so glad that I did. That's really great. And, you know, I think um, a lot of people turn to running um, when they're going through periods of mm -hmm. crisis in their lives or when they're struggling. And, and they, like you said, kind of at the beginning, they expect it to maybe be the magic answer and yeah. cure all, yeah. but it, it's, it's not always. So by you writing about it and talking about it, I think taking um, the stigma away too, uh, is is really really important. So um, so we appreciate that and and can um, certainly see in when we coach runners runners who struggle um, with either mental health issues, either they may be situational or they may be longer term, um, and how they try to balance the running. You know, it, and 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 it's also a fine line. I think we see a lot um, too, where like you said, it can kind of go over the line where you get yeah. into the running and then it becomes too much and you're identity gets wrapped up in the running and it actually yeah. can go so I think to hear you how you dealt with that um is also kind of the other end of the spectrum that that important important as well yeah and I think you know you you have to become um you have to be able to to identify that that running and, and all and all that that can bring that isn't who you are it doesn't define you um running can be a huge part of your life and, and a huge part of, of your identity but ultimately you have to know that you're you're more than than that and that's something I had to to learn you know to just define yourself in those that narrow margin is just as unhealthy as, as some of the other uh, mental health stuff that, that I was kind of going through for, for years before so I think you know there has to be that balance and that that appreciation of running but actually just to be able to see it in check and to, to put it in the context of actually, is this masking another issue? Um, 
for example, for me, for, for, for those years, I was doing lots and lots of races and things. I was not tackling directly with an, an issue, a body dysmorphia. Now, it wasn't until 2017 I got some professional help for that in the form of some, some therapy, which was, was um, life-changing. It was, it was that fundamental to my recovery. So running was not the answer for me in that sense. Running was in some ways a mask for that. Um, but in in kind of realizing that and getting the the help that I needed for that for that issue running still has a place but it, you can't put the weight you can't put the pressure on it to be the answer for it for everything because it isn't um so I think it's just that balance and it's so tricky to to get right sometimes but I think it's 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 worth having the conversation um and to work out where that is for you and the people that you coach, you know, the people that are listening, you know, where are you on that scale? What does running give to you? What does it bring to you? And then where does it kind of detract? Where does it, where is it a, a plaster that's bit that's masking other issues? Because, you know, if you ask yourself, you know, the answer, you know, and if I was pushed to ask myself around the time to buy marathon, I knew the answer. It was damaging me at that time, yeah. you know, so it, yeah. it's kind of, Yeah. Yeah, related. I just have this, you know, kind of related thought. How how do you take all those experiences and everything you've now learned, kind of later in life through running and marathoning and um, and just through your journey? How do you um, help your daughter? You know, how do you set her up for 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 kind of avoiding what you the process yeah. that you had to go to? Like what what, is, what lessons is that? Yeah, what yeah. lessons has that taught you? And how do you how do you parent differently? Do you parent differently, or do you think about that when you parent, and especially a you know, a preteen daughter. That's a brilliant, that is, um, that's a brilliant question. It's the million dollar question because both of us have daughters who are, you know, and and it is, and 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 it's it's a million dollar question. It's a million dollar question. And and if I had the the absolute answer, I would have a million dollars. So obviously I don't, (laughs) but the way that I am dealing with it is first of all, I've tried to be as open as I can um, with my daughter, um, she's she will be eleven this year, so she's she's ten years old. So she's not old enough yet to read the books that I've written. She knows all about them. She's lived and breathed all of the stuff and the the, the races and all of that. You know the stuff that's come as a result of me sharing my story, etc. Um, I've tried to, and I try now, present tense, to bring her up in a way where being physically active isn't a scary thing but that said I don't want her to grow up and, and put the pressure on herself either so for example uh, since she was four years old we've done junior park run together so she's done about 75 junior park runs um, that stopped when lockdown came in so over a period of um, five six years you know, Sundays when I wasn't racing or doing a long run, or I would work my run around it. We would rock up and do the local junior park run. Um, but other, as well as that, just being outside, I don't want it to just be this one kind of one dimensional um, image of fitness that, that she gets. It doesn't have to all be about running. So we go out and walk a lot. We're out in nature a lot. You know, we go outside, We um, she rides a bike. You know, I don't want her to just have this kind of one size fits all. Mum's a runner, therefore I need to do that. It may not be her thing. It She may grow to love it. It may be something that that 
you know kind of feeds a soul like it does for me but it may not so I think for me I've tried to really balance it out with a healthy attitude towards um just physical and mental well-being and that's just being outside so we'll go on hikes we go on walks we um you know we walk uh, run um during lockdown when she was home, being homeschooled we'd get out at half eight and do a, do a training session every morning but you know we again I'm not going to be kind of you know come on Tilly go faster you know it's not about that and it's kind of trying to just trying to you know I don't want her to have that pressure on herself but just to appreciate what a body can do and how much it makes us feel better so it's just about kind of yes introducing it to fitness so it's not a big scary monster so yeah of course she can she can run god further than I could when I was 10 years old I'd never even I don't know if I'd run anywhere at the time I was 10 but like today I picked her up from school and she said um they've got a new run track at the school she said oh, I, I ran a mile full mile um, today at school without stopping six laps of the track and I'm thinking that's brilliant and I said well that's great you know the fact that she can do that and she feels comfortable with her body and her fitness at a young age I can do that I can partake in sport I can partake in exercise it's not something for other girls and not for me so I wanted her to have that kind of yes I can take part in that if I choose to but at the same time do not get hooked on pbs do not go to park runs and think if I don't get a pr today I'm just going to be feel rubbish and awful it cannot be that either um in other ways I I'm, I'm very open about the things that I've experienced. I talked to her about a lot of that stuff. Um, I'm in the process of writing a, a book for her, <laughs> um, sharing some of the stories that, that I've kind of learned. There's some of them are not running related. Some of them are, some of them are just about life, but um, they're the ways in which I feel able to kind of try and help her out on the journey, whatever that may be for her. That's great. I think um, it goes back to your theme on, uh, enjoying the process and teaching yeah. teaching our kids to enjoy the process and then all of the results will will happen you know whatever that looks like for them so uh before we close out this really beautiful conversation uh can you share a little bit for our listeners the names of your books in plural um okay. where they can find them and then also how to find you okay um so the first book the one the one that we've kind of been talking about with you may not need to read it now because you know <laughs> you know the story of it. It, it it may be it may be, be worthwhile um if you're interested interested in that marathon journey um is running for my life and that is it's on amazon um the um second book so the story there is more about running when it, when it fell apart and it became that horrible thing as i as i um sort of explained um during our chat and the mental health implications of that that's called a midlife cyclist and it is not a book about cycling it's a book about when things fall fall apart what do you do um, you still have to do something to keep saying you have to work away around the problem you know seek the therapy that you need do whatever you need to do so that's the second book um both of those are available on amazon um i'm on instagram i, I do most of my stuff on there and twitter i am um rachel at uh, running all the underscores running for my life on instagram and you can click on to um the link in my books and stuff are on there but um 
it's just lovely to be able to speak to you guys and sort of share a bit about you know the main reasons why I've I've, I've gone down this crazy journey and, and you know it's you know it's, it's just great to be able to to do that and and to get the messages that, that I receive saying yes me too I've been there and I felt like that and it, you know it's it, it it makes it worthwhile well, we have no doubt that your story will resonate with so many of our listeners, your journey, and we appreciate you again, having the courage to share it, you know, in a podcast, but also, of course, in your books. And we will link in the show notes to your books as well as to your socials. And um, Rachel, before we go, with everyone sort of figuring out their identity, uh, their running identity in particular in this pandemic, what advice do you have for those listening um how to how to deal with that struggle oh without a doubt it's remember why you do it remember what it is um you know look for the for the for the signs you know on your next run you know is it is it do you see the sunrise is it is it peace that you find that you switch off from a problem that that you're having look and notice those things that running really really brings you and kind of try and tune into that and, and if you need to write it down in a, in a journal and kind of say you know this is what you know I was feeling you know I loved I, I saw a whatever a heron fly or a deer ran across the path on my run today you know the sun rose or you know I came back and and felt you know like I'd been plugged in you know whatever the thing is just tune into the reason why you do it and, and what it brings you because sometimes it's easy to to not see that and to 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 almost forget or, or overlook the things that we see on on, on you know everyday uh, runs that, that don't have to be about the, the watch or times or paces just remember why you do it and and why it's worth getting out the door and then from there you, you can take it wherever you want That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Rachel and Colin, for joining us today. We really appreciate your time and your courage. And we know that everything you say today will absolutely resonate with our listeners. Thanks so much. And thank you for asking me to, to, to share a bit of my story. It's, it's, it's been a joy. Thank you for that. Thank you. And Rachel. Cheers, Anne. Bye. Bye. <laughs>